Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eagle Naz. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. You know, in my other job that I have, I get to travel all across the country. I've been to 48 of the 50 states in the last couple of years, and, and I've seen some beautiful country. I've seen everything the good old U.S. of A has to offer, and we live in one of the most absolutely beautiful areas that God has ever created. It's wonderful, and you could be anywhere else you wanted to be today. I mean, there are so many outdoor activities available for folks in this area, and you're right here. Thank you. And I'm glad you're here because it's no fun preaching to an empty crowd. But you're here and so am I and God is good. Do you remember when you wanted to look up a word and find out the definition of a word, what, what did we used to do? What? Dictionary. Webster's Dictionary. When we wanted to look up a word. Now, now what do we do? Siri, what is the definition of trivia? Trivia means details, considerations, or pieces of information of little importance or value. Now, my family would tell you that my brain is absolutely filled with things just like that. <laughs> details, pieces of useless information, it just are, it's there. It's stuck. I can't help it. If you were to ask me what Major League Baseball player had the greatest single season in the history of the Major Leagues, well, I'd be able to tell you, obviously, that it was Mickey Mantle in 1956. In 1956, he, he led every offensive category in the whole Major Leagues. He hit more home runs and more doubles and runs battered in and runs scored and batting average and hits and slugging percentage and, and, and on-base percentage, you name it, Mickey Mantle was the guy. And I don't know why that's stuck in my head, but I can't get rid of it. And, and like if I were to ask you, I mean if you were to ask me, you know, who holds the world record for the most hot dogs eaten in a sanctioned hot dog eating contest? Joey Chestnut. What a great name. Joey Chestnut. 74 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Doesn't that make you just want to hurl? That's seven and a half hot dogs per minute. Just boom, boom, boom. And then he goes home and has a barbecue and eats more hot dogs. Joey Chestnut. Totally useless information, but now you have it. Let me, let me ask you this. What's the best-selling book of all time? Bible. The Bible. Over five billion, with a B, Bibles have been sold across the centuries have been purchased across the centuries. Over five billion. The, 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 the book in second place is counted in the millions. That's how far the Bible is ahead. And, and there was a recent survey that asked, what is the most familiar, best love chapter 
in all of the Bible, what would it be? 23rd Psalm. Of the 1,189 chapters in the Bible, another piece of trivia that's stuck in there, 23rd Psalm is the best loved, most familiar, most well-known. And that same survey asked, what's the most familiar, well-known verse or phrase in the entire Bible? And this was asked to both Christians and non-Christians, followers of Jesus and those who don't follow him. And you know what the answer was? The Lord is my shepherd. People who know about the Bible and who don't, people who follow Jesus and who don't, are familiar with that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, the 23rd Psalm is a beautiful description of a shepherd caring for his sheep, loving his sheep, providing, protecting, guiding, just, just taking care of all the needs of his sheep. So let's, let's read the 23rd Psalm together, shall we, this morning as we get ready to... Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand with me like Pastor Tim does because he'll be checking on me. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Next slide. Yay. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that good stuff? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. You may be seated. Do you know that over 200 times in Scripture, you're referred to as a sheep? That's right, you and you and you and you and you. Over 200 times. We're, we're, we're called sheep. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. In, in John 10, 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. My sheep know me as well. And in Psalms 100, the Bible says, I know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us, not we ourselves. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Over 200 times in Scripture, we're referred to as sheep. Now, I know a lot of people find that comforting. You know, we've got a shepherd to take care of us, and we're sheep, and the good shepherd loves us and cares for us, and, and so kind of a really nice, sweet, beautiful little picture until you really start digging in and see what sheep are really like. Sheep are a mess. They are a stinking mess, some of the dumbest animals on the planet. They're stubborn, they're stiff-necked, they're rebellious, they wander off, and the shepherd has to go get them and bring them back. 
and they wander off again and the shepherd has to go get them and bring them back and they wander. See, they don't learn from their mistakes. Sheep, and, 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 and they smell atrocious. They're defenseless. They have no way. You know, like, like horses and cows and giraffes and stuff have these long tails that whip around and, and, and can shake the bugs off. Sheep's tail is about like that. They can't do anything to protect themselves. Totally dependent on the shepherd to protect them. And, and they're top-heavy. They're built weird. They have these skinny, spindly little legs and this big old fat marshmallow body. And do you know if a sheep falls over, many times they can't get up by themselves. They have to wait for the shepherd to get them up when they've fallen down because they're so top-heavy. Easily frightened, easily confused, easily disoriented, they, they panic. You know, flocks of sheep have been, have been known to plunge straight over a cliff to their death following one right after another. Sheep, I'm not sure it's a compliment when we're referred to as sheep. Now, did I mention that sheep get distracted and disoriented and disobedient? And isn't it interesting how that prefix dis, D-I-S, those three simple little letters can change the meaning of a word completely. You know, dis changes everything. With dis, obey becomes disobey, and respect becomes disrespect, and regard, disregard, and, and what, what is an ability becomes a disability when you add dis to the word. Engage is a good thing, but to disengage, and grace, that wonderful word, grace, is transformed into disgrace, all because of dis. You would be hard-pressed to find three letters that are more potent, that change everything. And we'd be hard-pressed to find a better example of the power of those three letters than the word appointment. Now see, most of us appreciate appointments. Appointments are good, unless of course it's a dental appointment or a you know, an appointment with your IRS auditor. But appointments bring a sense of order to our otherwise hectic, chaotic schedules. You know, when I have an appointment, it's on the calendar, it's all, it's all set up, I know exactly where I'm supposed to be and what time and who I'm supposed to meet with and what the topic's going to be. You know, if, if I have an appointment, uh, you know, for physical therapy, with Dr. Langley there, I mean, I know exactly where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing and what I'm supposed to accomplish. It, it brings a, a sense of order and predictability to our lives. Appointments give us a sense, although it may be a false sense, that we have some control over our lives and our schedules and our circumstances. But a disappointment reminds us that we don't. A disappointment 
means that what we hoped would happen or what was supposed to happen didn't. That somehow it got off track. It fell off the rails. You know, we, we wanted health and we got sick. We wanted a job and we didn't get hired. We wanted a family and it fell apart. We, we, we worked hard and wanted that promotion, but we got laid off. We lost our job. You know, we wanted a friend, but we got dissed. We got left out. We got ignored. We got stood up. You know, we, we, sometimes life gets heavy. We just want to break. And sometimes we get broken. So the, the, the question this morning is, what do we do with our disappointments? How do we respond to disappointments? You know, we, we could do like Miss Haversham did. You remember Miss Haversham? She was, uh, she was in, in uh, Charles Dickens' great novel called Great Expectations. She had an appointment. She was getting married. Well, her fiancé jilted her just prior to the wedding. Her appointment became a deep, tragic disappointment. Man, it rocked her world. She did not handle it well. It literally broke her. She, she closed all the blinds in her house. She stopped every clock so she would never forget the pain of that disappointment. She left the wedding cake on the table until it, it gathered cobwebs and began to mold. She, she wore her wedding dress every day until it hung on her in rags. Her, her wounded heart was consumed because of that disappointment. Now, now, we can follow the same course. I mean, when disappointments come into our lives and things don't work out the way we thought they should, we, we, there's all sorts of different ways we can respond to that. You know, we, we could follow the example of the Apostle Paul. His, his goal was to be a missionary in Spain. Did you know? He never got there. He wrote about it in Romans 15. He said, I'm going on a missionary journey to Spain. And he had it all figured out. He had it all planned out. He knew exactly where he was going and what he was going to do. But rather than end up in Spain, Paul ended up in prison. A Roman jail. Now, he could have made the same choice that Miss Haversham did. He could have gone into a deep, dark pit of depression and regret and remorse and bitterness and immobilized by the disappointment, ready to just give up and quit. But, but you know what he did instead? He said, okay, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I had planned. This was not my appointment. But while I'm here, I might as well make the most of it. He said, I, I, I think I'll just write a few letters. Now that Bible you have, one of the five billion that are out there, has those letters that Paul wrote to Philemon and to the Philippians and to the Colossians and to the Ephesians. And I have no doubt that Paul would have done a great job in Spain. 
He would have planted churches. He would have had some converts. It would have been a very successful trip, but it would have paled in comparison to the impact and the influence and the work of those books in your Bible to billions and billions of people across the years. Major disappointment for Paul, but he took a different approach of how he was going to respond to that. And, and I'm sure you've sat where Paul sat. I, I'm, I'm just absolutely sure we all have at some point in time. You know, we, we had our plans laid out. We had our appointments. We, we had the direction we were going. We were on our road to Spain. We were on our road to college or marriage or independence or that dream job or that perfect house. But then came the layoff, or the pregnancy, or the sick parent, or the accident, or the poor decision, or the financial disaster. And you ended up in your prison. So long, Spain. Hello, Rome. So long, appointment. Hello, disappointment. So how did you handle it? Or maybe a better question is, how are you handling it? Because I'm, there, probably lots and lots and lots of us are, are in the midst of some disappointing circumstances in our life right now. It's not exactly as we planned it. This wasn't the way it was supposed to turn out. There's some stuff I'm dealing with that I mean, it's disappointing in my life. Maybe you could use some help. And I would suggest to you this morning six words in the fifth verse of the 23rd Psalm. You anoint my head with oil. And I can see it on your faces right now. You're saying, oh, Pastor Jerry, that's exactly what I needed this morning. What a blessing. That is so powerful. Now what you're really saying is, what in the world are you talking about? I'm in the midst of a mess. There are disappointments in my life I'm trying to deal with. I came to church to get some help, and you're giving me a verse about smearing oil on my head. Thank you. You know, what does a verse about oil have to do with the hurts that come from the disappointments in our lives? Well, a little livestock lesson might help. See, in ancient Israel, shepherds used oil with their sheep for three specific purposes. One was to repel insects, to prevent injuries, and to heal wounds. Now, bugs bug people, but they can kill sheep, literally. You know, flies, mosquitoes, gnats. You know, for us, it's a nuisance. It's an irritant. It can ruin a, a, a picnic or a backyard barbecue. But those insects can turn the summer into a time of torture for sheep, especially nose flies. You familiar with nose flies? They, they land on the sheep's face and nose, the soft membrane around his nose, and, and they... And they crawl inside the nostrils and lay their eggs. It's going to get better. 
The eggs hatch in the warm, soft, moist environment of the sheep's nose. And the squirmy little larvae begin to wiggle around and move around, and they, and they work their way deeper into the nose and literally burrow into the soft tissue of the sheep's brain. I'm not making this up. You can Google it. You can ask Siri. It's all true. And it can literally drive the sheep insane. One shepherd made this notation in his journal. He said, for relief from this agonizing annoyance, sheep will deliberately beat their heads against trees, rocks, posts, anything. In extreme cases, a sheep may even kill itself in a frenzied effort to gain relief from the aggravation of nose flies. So when nose flies appear, sheep panic. They go nuts. They run. They scatter. They begin to toss their heads around and beat it against whatever. They forget to eat. They forget to sleep. Entire flocks of sheep can be disrupted and immobilized by the presence of nose flies. So what does the shepherd do? He anoints their head with oil. He covers their heads and their nose with this oil-like repellent and the fragrance from the insects, I mean the fragrance from this oil keeps the insects away and keeps the flock at peace. At peace that is until mating season. See most of the year sheep are docile and calm and passive and dumb as rocks. But during mating season, everything changes. I mean, the rams put the ram in rambunctious during mating season. You know, they they strut around the pasture, they flex their necks, they shake their heads, they stomp their hooves, they, they put on a show because they're trying to get the attention of the hot new sheep chick in the pasture. And when a ram catches her eye, he tosses his head back and he begins to sing, I got you, babe. I got you, babe. You you remember Sonny and Cher from the 60s? I got you, babe. I I think we got a clip of that. There it is. There it is. They wrote that song for sheep. It's the theme song for mating rams. It's right there in the Bible. And then another ram shows up, and he says, it's about to get bad. (laughs) And they back up, and they're fighting for territory, and they're fighting for you, and it goes something like this. Oh! We're talking a massive migraine, a monster headbutt. And rams can get really, really injured in that mating season and the rut season. So to prevent injury, the shepherd literally anoints the rams during this season. He he smears slippery, greasy, oil-like substance over the horns and the head of the rams And this lubricant causes them to, rather than just hit head on, it causes them to kind of glance off, glance off, you know, slip sliding away, which reminds me of another song, but that's a different sermon, (laughs) slip sliding away. But but see, the, the shepherd is anointing the sheep to protect them. 
to save them, to help them. And the third reason, there's a third reason that the shepherd anoints the sheep, and it's, it's to simply heal their wounds. You know, most of the wounds the sheep gets are simply the result of just daily, normal activity in the pasture. Thorns prick, rocks cut, sheep get nicks and cuts and bruises, and, and they get hurt just from the daily, normal activities of being out in a pasture. So the shepherd regularly, often daily, will inspect the sheep searching for cuts and abrasions because he doesn't want the cut to get worse. He doesn't want today's wound to become tomorrow's infection and get worse and worse. So he uses his oil as a medicine, as an antibiotic to kill germs and infection and bring healing for the sheep. Now, just like sheep, we get wounded. We get hurt from the daily stuff of life. Our wounds are usually wounds of the heart or wounds in relationships. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And if we're not careful, these wounds can fester and lead to bitterness and take us down a deep, dark path. And just like sheep, we need to be treated. In Psalms 100, the Bible reminds us that He made us. We belong to Him. We are His people. We are the sheep that He tends. And when we get banged up and irritated with each other and butt heads with each other and get wounded, we need a shepherd to tend to us. You know, most disappointments begin as just little irritations. You, you, you don't get invited to the party. You don't make the team. You don't get the scholarship. You, your boss doesn't know, know, notice your extra effort and hard work. And your spouse has their head buried in their phone or their iPad and ignores you. Sorry, honey. And we find ourselves, as these things pile up, getting a little more irritable, a little grouchier. We're hurt. We're wounded. We're not handling it very well. You know, grouchy, don't sleep well, don't feel well, maybe bang our head against the tree a few times, or, or more than likely, bang your head against another person. You know, it's amazing how hard-headed we can be with each other, with people that we love, with people that we care about. But because of the disappointments and the irritations and all the stuff going on, you know, family, friends, kids, neighbors, co-workers, we sometimes find ourselves butting heads with them. And if we aren't careful, today's wounds can become tomorrow's infections. But like the sheep, we have a shepherd. Remember, remember the words, we belong to him. We are his people. We're the sheep he attends. And he will do for you what the shepherd does for the sheep. He will tend to you. He will minister to you. 
He will anoint your head with oil. If the Gospels teach us anything, they teach us that Jesus is a good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He literally not only gave his life for you 2,000 years ago to forgive your sins, but he's there to give his life and lay down his life for you every single day in your pasture. That's what Jesus has done for his followers for 2,000 years. I mean, starting with his disciples 2,000 years ago, he spread the oil of protection. He prayed for them. He equipped them before he sent them out. He, he revealed to them the mysteries and the secrets of the parables. He interrupted their arguments. He calmed their fears. He gave them the Holy Spirit to lead them and guide them and protect them. He, he, he was a good shepherd, and Jesus ministered to his disciples. He tended to their wounds. He anointed their heads with oil. Remember, he touched the eyes of the blind. He healed the lepers. Jesus tends to his sheep. He, he touched the searching heart of Nicodemus. He, he touched the, the open heart of Zacchaeus. He touched the broken heart of Mary Magdalene. He touched the stubborn heart of Paul and the, the repentant heart of Peter. Jesus tends to his sheep. He always has and he always will and he wants to for you and for me as well. If, if we'll let him, he heals our broken hearts. The, the steps are pretty simple, you know. First, first, we need to go to him. We need to go to him. David would trust his wounds to no one else. He said, you anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. You know, not your prophets, not your teachers, not your counselors. Others may guide us to God and others may help us understand God and others may teach us about God, but no one does the work of God but God. The good shepherd. He can do for you what no one else can do. Amen. The Bible says God heals the brokenhearted. So have you taken your disappointments to God? You've, you've shared them with your neighbor and with your friends and your family and with your co-workers and, and that's okay but have you taken them to God? James says anyone who is having troubles should pray. So what is prayer? It's taking it to God. It's taking it to the Good Shepherd. It's taking it to the one who can make all the difference. So before you go anywhere else with your disappointments, I would encourage you to take it to God. Whether it's little stuff or big stuff, you can take it to Him. He wants you to bring it to Him. He's the one who said, come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden and worn out and disappointed and feeling broken and I will give you rest. He cares about you. Peter, Peter tells us, he, he says you can cast all your anxiety on him. You can cast all of your care and your worries and your disappointments on him because he cares for you. 
So the first step is to go to the right person. Bring it to God. The second step is to assume the right posture. Bow before him. Do you know that in order to be anointed, the sheep had to stand still and lower its head so the shepherd could do his work? It's a posture of humility. It's a posture of, I can't do this on my own. I need some help. Peter says, humble yourself under God's powerful hand so he will lift you up when the right time comes. The Bible says God opposes the proud. I don't want to stand in opposition to God. And I don't think you do either. God opposes the proud and the haughty and the arrogant and the stubborn and the self-sufficient, but he gives grace to the humble. So when we come to God, we make our requests. We don't make demands. We come with high hopes, but with humble hearts. We, we tell him what we want, the desires of our heart, but we pray for what is right, for his will to be done. And if for some reason God gives us the prison of Rome instead of the mission field of Spain, we accept it because we know that God will always give what is right to his people who cry to him night and day. Not my will, but thine be done for my life and my circumstances. So we go to him and we humble ourselves and bow before him and then we trust in him. You know the the sheep doesn't have any idea why the oil repels the nose flies. Doesn't understand it at all. And the sheep has no idea how the oil that the shepherd puts on him heals his nicks and bruises and cuts and wounds. In fact, all the sheep knows for sure is that something happens in the presence of the shepherd. That somehow, when he stays close to the shepherd, he knows he's safe and protected and loved and cared for in the presence of the shepherd. And I think there are times when that's what we need to remember as well. Lord, I give myself to you. My God, I trust you. So we go we bow, we trust, and place ourselves in the presence of the shepherd.